0: Team.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. I'm Hannah Wing, the Rangers' digital and in-game host, and I'm so excited to be back with my co-host and partner in crime, Jared Sandler.
2: Hannah, I'm really excited. We're going to get a chance to share our conversation with one of the newest inductees into the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame, Ian Kinsler. And later on, just we're going to do something called a tease Later on this uh, this season, we're going to chat with the other newest inductee, uh, John Blake, and get some great stories from his 44 years in baseball, 34 of those years spent with the Rangers. But today, tonight, this morning, at 3 a.m., whenever you're listening <laughs> to this, uh, maybe 3 a.m., Whataburger. I mean, not a bad combination, uh, but... We're going to bring you our conversation with Ian Kinsler.
1: Yes, it's a great one. We talked a lot about how we got to where he is today, what he's up to now, even answered some of your questions that you submitted. So be sure to stick around and catch that later on in the episode. Also, just wanted to mention this up front. First of all, thank you so much for listening. We love you guys so much. And as a thank you for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcast. We will put you all in a drawing for a custom Rangers jersey. So if you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts and give the Straight Up Texas podcast a rating, review, and be sure to subscribe.
2: What would your custom jersey of the day be? Of the day? Yeah. Mm.
1: I really wish they had the throwbacks because I think that that would be really fun. Um, I would probably say maybe Dane Dunning. We have a really fun rapid fire with him coming up in a bit. So I'd say maybe a powder blue Dane Dunning jersey. What do you think?
2: That was a great job. So I'm going to (laughs) follow your lead. And I'm going to say, well, maybe a Taylor Hearn since we have a a Taylor Hearn fun fact. Yes,
1: we do. I will just jump right into that. Um, I approached Taylor about his fun fact this week. And I said, just anything that isn't baseball and that isn't rodeo related, because I think a lot of Rangers fans know that Taylor Hearn comes from a rodeo family. And so I asked him, what his non-baseball and non-rodeo fun fact was. And he is a diehard Manchester U fan and has been since 2008.
2: And that's unfortunate uh, because Manchester United is off to a really poor start. And, uh, you know, as a, a Tottenham supporter, I need binoculars to find Manchester United way down in the the standings, the table as it's known in, in uh, the Premier League. Uh, so... You know, unfortunate decision for Taylor. He's otherwise a great guy. Yeah. Uh, big Mavs fan, too. Big, Which we big love. Big Mavs fan. It's odd, you know? I know. To, I thought yeah. I was like,
1: that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, but. why would
2: you be a Manchester? No, but a lot, of, a lot of people are Manchester United fans. And uh, Brad Miller is a Manchester City fan uh, and just in general a, a soccer nut. And so it's always fun talking soccer with those guys in the clubhouse.
1: So I guess Taylor Hearn, big Mavs, and big Man U fan.
2: Yeah. What? Who's your favorite soccer club?
1: I would have to say FC Dallas. I feel like I have to keep supporting (laughs) all the DFW teams, so I would say probably FC Dallas. Have Um, you ever been
2: to a, a soccer match? I
1: haven't, but I used to drive by where the LA Galaxy would play all the time when I lived in California. We actually had our high school graduation at the stadium where they play over in Carson, and it turns out the year before, so I guess the class of 2013 from Los Alamitos High School was there the day before doing run-throughs for graduation and ran into David Beckham. So, unfortunately, oh. if I was a year older, I would have been able to see him, but I missed it by about a year.
2: David Beckham, that's so. uh, not a bad person yeah. to run into for a variety of reasons. What
1: about you? Who's your soccer team?
2: Well, t- Tottenham's my favorite club. I grew up, I was born into that. My dad, uh, who uh, has been a soccer fan far longer than I've been alive and involved in the sports, a huge Tottenham nut. So, uh, um, I, uh, I guess I... Well, maybe I did have a choice, but I, I chose to follow in my dad's footsteps, which, unfortunately, Hannah, I hate to acknowledge this, it, it's led to more heartbreak than anything else, being a toddler, I'm supporter. sorry. That's okay.
1: That's tough. Did you ever play soccer growing up? Like, were you ever on a team? What were the names? Yeah,
2: I did. So, well, my dad was a, a professional soccer player, and so soccer really is kind of big in my family. I stopped playing soccer uh, after fifth grade so I could play football and basketball and baseball, but... Uh, I played on the lions. I played on the Hornets. Uh, and I think that was the extent of the, the team names. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, we didn't have like the, like tiger shark lightning or anything. Oh my gosh. Or I was on, you? yeah,
1: I was on the red hot ladybugs that when I was thing. in kindergarten and every game we would do a Congo line through the goal. I, so, yep.
2: And I fully believe that you were like leading the charge. Like I wasn't the
1: best player, but I brought the best yeah, snacks. Like no, I was bringing uh, Happy Meals every game. You know, I wasn't the best player, but I kind of carried my weight in other ways. So I would play with my bow and kind of kick the ball occasionally. But yeah, I would, always brought Happy Meals after you, every game.
2: You probably brought the energy. I did, and the yes, spirit. Yes, and, I, and that's
1: what matters sometimes on a team.
2: You might have also been really good at like chasing butterflies while yes. other people were. Oh, absolutely,
1: hundred percent. Yeah. I'll just stay out of your way. You do your thing. Yeah, I'm not going to bother works. you.
2: Well, hey, Hannah. This was uh, we're having this conversation on Thursday, August eighteenth. Uh, it's a big week for for Rangers baseball. Yes. Not necessarily a fun week. You never like when people get relieved of of their duties, but that was the case uh, with Chris Woodward on Monday and and John Daniels yesterday. Uh, you know, two people who are just exceptional human beings, uh, and you know, not. I think because of that, it it makes it a little tougher, right? Because you, you know the person, you care about the person. You but see them uh, every day, you meet yeah. their families. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, Chris Woodward uh, spent almost four years in this role and, uh, you know, the Rangers felt like it was the right time to uh, go in a different direction. Um, you know, I think as as Ray Davis and uh, Chris Young uh, discussed that, you know, they're this is uh, an organization that, that doesn't just want to win, but believes it, it, it should win at a, you know, a higher level. And uh, it's a very results based or uh, business. And, you know, with Chris Woodward specifically uh, you know, it seems like maybe the, the desires to get more structure, uh, a little more command in in the clubhouse of the way things happen from A to Z. And uh, so the Rangers are now in, in search of a manager, Tony Beasley is the interim manager and will be considered for that role. But, uh, you know, that will be a part of a search that will take place this off season.
1: I'm really excited for Bees, obviously, and he mentioned this the other day, that this is so bittersweet. Both Woody and JD are exceptional human beings, like you said, and they both just have so much class and just great character, and you never want to see someone lose their job. And I think that Tony Beasley said this best the other day, that this is bittersweet that he finally gets the opportunity of a lifetime to manage a major league team but it also comes to the cost of someone else's job. And I think that this has to be difficult for both B's and CY because they were with, you know, CY was with JD every day. Woody was with B's every day. And it's just hard when someone loses their job, but also I think it's going to be a great opportunity for both CY and B's moving forward. But, I just can't even imagine what J.D. and Woody are feeling right now and their families, especially since it kind of came out of the blue, at least from my perspective, and I don't know if they saw this coming. And from what we heard, it doesn't seem like they did. So I just – it sucks because obviously now social media is a different added layer onto all of this, and people will say whatever they want to. But at the end of the day, you never want to see people lose their jobs, but it's also part of the business. And I'm really excited for Bees and this opportunity that he has. I think that the world would be a much better place if everyone was like Tony Beasley.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, and, you know, in, in credit to John Daniels and Chris Woodward, the, those are the types of people who also, you know, make uh, make the people around them, uh, you know, better and, and whatnot. But, yeah, Tony Beasley's been through so much. And, uh, you know, whether he's the manager of this team for 48 games or 48 games and then the next few years, uh, you know, he, he deserves the success that he has. He's someone who connects so well with people, and that's such a big part of being a manager these days. Of course. You know, the way you you can develop relationships with men and women, a part of your team, and a part of your staff. It's not just the players. You know, these these coaching staffs and support staffs are way larger than, you know, they used to be. And, and as the manager, you are uh, the, the person they turn to, and you set the tone, and, uh, you know, Tony Beasley is going to have an opportunity to, try and, you know, make some progress uh, towards, you know, the goals set forth by the front office and ownership group uh, over the final, you know, six or so weeks. And, you know, Chris Young, the Rangers don't need to hire a GM. They, they have one. It's Chris Young, but, you know, he's obviously going to uh, have to figure out how he wants to make this his own and, and what steps need to be taken to, uh, to to get this going, or I guess I should say continue going in the right direction because Ray Davis even acknowledged yesterday Uh, that, you know, he's happy with the direction of the rebuild and, you know, Chris young obviously deserves credit for that. And, and the ownership group deserves credit for the way they've financially supported this rebuild.
1: I'm also really excited to see what's in store for 2023. I think that obviously the decisions that were made this week were done now because they want to start building momentum for 2023. And that seems like the year that everybody's talking about, that everyone's working towards that everyone's excited about. But Jared, I would love to ask you, who do you think the next Rangers manager will be?
2: Well, I'll, I do think Tony Beasley will get uh, consideration. I'll I'll answer it this way: If the Rangers choose to go outside of the organization, uh, you know, I I think the name that keeps coming to the top of my mind is Bruce Bochy. Uh, I I think that while there is not going to be a job posting on like. Teamwork.com yeah, exactly. or, Work whatever. In yeah.
1: or whatever all those websites are. And,
2: and it, you know it's not going to say major league managerial experience is required. Uh, I do think that is going to be something that is of appeal. And so if you are without major league managerial experience, uh, you might have a steeper hill to climb to convince the ownership group in the front office that you are the guy for the job. Uh, Bruce Bochy, yeah, he's not 50 years old, Uh, He's 67, but, uh, you know, he is incredibly accomplished. He's taken two different teams to a World Series. He won three with the Giants, including, unfortunately, 2010 against the Rangers. And then you always want to ask, well, why isn't he managing? Well, he retired. Well, why would he want to come out of retirement? Well, he didn't retire because he was necessarily done with managing. He retired because he had two horrible knees that were incredibly painful that needed the attention that he could not give because of the, you know, the, the, arduousness of being a major league manager, those needs are apparently in better condition. He has apparently expressed to people that he wants to manage. And to me, you know, he brings, you know, the gravitas, the, the skins on the wall. And I think he's someone the Rangers would would absolutely consider. Uh, but no matter who they consider, you know, I think it, uh, it it's just, I'll go back to what I said. It, it is very important that that individual is strong in the areas of being able to lead a group of men and deal with conflict Uh, because you are not... I don't care how good your team is. You are not going to be without conflict uh, throughout the course of the year. And how you handle conflict might not win you games, but it could lose you the clubhouse, right? It's it's one of those tough things where you're not going to make a player better necessarily the way you handle conflict, but you could make situations way worse that impact the play on the field. And uh, it's always a fine line because a lot of times in conflict, if you, the easy thing is, well, I'm going to make Hannah happy. Well, by making Hannah happy, you might make Jared really upset. You got to figure out ways to, to bridge those gaps. And, uh, you know, he's obviously had a ton of experience doing that.
1: Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see who the Rangers end up selecting. I'm just really excited to see what Bees does with this team for the remaining games in the season. And I think there's definitely a lot of positive momentum going forward. But I do feel for J.D. and for Woody because obviously their jobs were on the chopping block because of how the performance has been this year.
2: Yeah, and, uh, you know, the John Daniels spent 17 years running this you know, baseball operations department. That's a long time, very long time. You just don't see it in in all sports. It's very rare that GM's, uh, and and it's not a shot at Jerry Jones. He's the owner. So that's a little different situation, right? Uh, He, he's not going to fire himself. Uh, It's very, it's very rare to see a general manager uh, hold that spot for that long. Uh, And he had tremendous success. You know, the goal was always to eventually transition that power over to Chris young and, uh, you know, the ownership group felt like August 17th was the day to, to you know, really officially do that. And, uh, you know, Chris Young is incredibly bright. Uh, he's young and, and determined. He probably, you know, has more gas in the tank uh, than someone who's been doing it for 17 years. I think J.D. would be the first to tell you that and uh, excited to see what direction Chris Young Goes with this and, uh, you know, hopefully we're talking about playoff baseball here in the very near future.
1: That would be great. The Playoff Baseball Texas podcast <laughs> presented by Whataburger. Um, but Jared, before we jump into our fun rapid fire segment, can we just briefly touch on J.D.'s statement? I thought that it was so classy. It just really spoke to who he is as a person. Um, and obviously, I'm sure that he was surprised by the news yesterday, but I thought that his statement was so beautifully said.
2: It was. Uh I hope that fans take the time to read it. I mean, just from the very first line, somewhere along the way, this baseball fan from Queens got an opportunity to help lead a major league baseball franchise in Texas. I mean, it just, it's relatable, right? Like he, in that Probably never him.
1: thought he would be in this situation one yeah. day. You never know. Yeah, uh,
2: but that's that's him. And then, you know, the message to the fans, uh, you know, fans don't root for suits. You root for jerseys. Mm-hmm. And that's a very good point. Yeah, and so it's, it's rare that, You know, baseball executives in any sport—they eventually, probably, get to a point with fans where fans are, you know, not not in favor of that, you know, whatever. And 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 that's—you make a move. It's very rare to find a move that is universally loved, right? And so you're always going to have with every decision you make. Some people like it, some people don't. And uh, but you know, I thought John Daniels, regardless of how the fans felt about him, and. You know, obviously, there were some who loved him, some uh, who didn't. You know, I thought he was always very considerate and classy towards the fans. And yeah, that statement I thought was it gave me, as as the kids say, gave me all the feels.
1: Yes, it definitely did. I love how he ended it. He said, "Looking forward to being a dad, husband, and fan, and to see what comes next." So, very excited to see what comes next for JD. I know that wherever he ends up, we'll be so lucky to have him, and he and Woody will be very missed in the franchise for sure.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, you know the the impact of John Daniels. Uh, will not be forgotten. Uh, you know, Chris Woodward certainly impacted several people around him, and uh, now it's on to the next chapter. And that's just the nature of sports. and uh, the Rangers uh, have an exciting offseason ahead.
1: Yes, we definitely do. Or I guess not we. The Rangers have an exciting we offseason ahead. Yeah, I feel like we you're, you're do, calling we're the around shots. it all the time. Is now <laughs> the
2: time to let everyone know that you are? this decision was made in part because they're ready for Hannah Wade oh, to start calling the shots?
1: Oh, gosh. I don't think they would want that right now. Are but... we calling
2: for a hit and run right now? <laughs> oh, do,
1: what do you want to do? Oh, my gosh. Well, up next is a fun rapid fire segment with Dane Dunning. He is
0: an awesome guy and excited for you guys to hear what he has to say. Favorite way to spend
1: an off day?
3: Ooh, um, I think the right way to say this is with my wife, but I'm going to have to say golfing. Favorite cartoon growing up? Tom and Jerry.
1: Favorite restaurant in the DFW area?
3: Ooh, uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to have to say Torchies. Oh, wow. It's an underdog choice, but a good choice. Favorite smell? Oh, that's that's a hard one. Um... Uh, there's a specific candle that I really love. It's called like watermelon lemonade from Bath and Body Works. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it, it tastes like oh, not taste. Uh, it smells like almost. I feel like it would smell like those zebra strips, like when you used to like grow up eating the little gums yeah. zebra strip gums. Yeah. Uh, favorite accent. Ooh. Um. That's tough. I like Australian. I think it's really cool.
1: Favorite YouTube channel to watch?
3: Shout out Dude Perfect. How about that? Local. Going local. Yeah. Uh, favorite ice cream topping? Um, sprinkles.
1: That's a good one. What is your favorite Rangers jersey?
3: The retro jerseys that we have right now. Favorite yeah. food
2: when you go see a movie? Or you're
3: watching a movie at home? Um, I mean, really just any type of candy. So, like, uh, I don't know, like sat- like those... Um, Sour Patch Kids, watermelons, to even like Sour Punch Trawls or anything like that.
1: Favorite animal?
3: Oh, um, go with a lion. Favorite athlete growing up?
2: Can't say your brother.
3: My brother. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, Nolan Ryan, Greg Maddox, like all, all sorts of. It's a Pedro Martinez. Uh, I got a big list.
1: <laughs> Favorite car?
3: Oh, now that's a really good question. Um, I would have to say currently mine, which is an Audi SQ8, um, but Audi R8 is probably one of my favorites.
2: Alright, this is an either or for you. You can get rid of one, the copy and paste function or the undo function.
3: I prob- like, I don't really use the undo function, so um, I'll probably use that, I- I'll use copy and paste a lot. Easy answer.
1: Burgers or tacos?
3: I have to go with, ah, that's, that's probably tacos There's more variety. I mean, you want torchies so I, yeah, you know, you go but I mean, I do like, I get moves where I want a burger. So, yeah. um, uh, i would have to go tacos just cause there's more variety. All right. Do you say root or route route?
1: Cats or dogs?
3: Um, I'm personally a dog person and my wife's a cat person. So we know how that is when we own a cat,
1: <laughs> what's your cat's name?
3: Uh, right now. Well, we've had them for three days. And his name is Tex.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, okay. Uh, team dog, by the way. Uh,
2: clogged nose or airplane ears? You have to have one. You can get rid of the other.
3: Oh. I can't. I'll have to go airplane ears. I can't, I can't do clogged nose.
1: Would you rather see the future or change the past?
3: I feel like both of those are probably... Um, are, that's, that's really hard, too. I would have to go change the past. I mean, seeing in the future, I feel like it's just a recipe for a disaster. All right, last one for me, pancakes or waffles? Pancakes.
1: Final question, country music or rap music?
3: Um, I mean, either or. Um, I've been actually kind of third option. I've been going like, you know, punk rock lately, so I'm gonna have to go with that one.
1: You have the best warm-up song too. You have Kickstart My Heart, right? Oh, yeah,
3: Motley Crue, yeah.
1: Dane just cracks me up. He is so funny. I know that he's obviously a huge Dude Perfect fan. For those of you listening to the podcast all season long, he did submit a question for them when we had Cody Jones on the podcast a while back. But it's always great to see Dane. He's just so funny. And I love the part that he said that now he's a cat person because he was a dog person. His wife likes cats, so now they have a cat. I thought that was really funny.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, Hannah, that's that's how it goes. Happy Uh, wife, happy life. Yeah, you, uh, you know, I, I... I feel for your fiance Pierce, because uh, pretty soon, if it hasn't happened already, any 50-50 argument is just not going to go his way. Uh, I hope he's listening. I, You know what? And and I'll be honest. I love Pierce. I'm Team Hannah. Thank so, you. I
1: appreciate that. Yeah,
2: um, But if Pierce was here, I'd say I'm Team Pierce. That's so, all good. You know, I get it. Side. Happy
1: wife, happy yeah. life.
2: But I uh, know it's great talking to Dane. Yes, he's awesome. Fun guy. He's actually starting the game today. So hopefully when you're listening to this, you're listening while Dane is pitching a gem or maybe looking back on uh, Dane's great performance. Uh, If not, well then the next time, I hope that this rapid
1: fire gave Dane some more fans too. I think he's an easy guy to root for on and off the field, but he is just a great human being and glad we got to chat with him. Yeah, no
2: doubt about it. All right. Well, I'm also super excited. We got a chance to chat with Ian Kinsler inducted into the Texas Rangers baseball hall of fame. Uh, We chatted with him the day before the induction ceremony took place, right after the luncheon, for those who got to attend that. Uh, And uh, after a, a message from our beloved sponsors, Whataburger, we will bring you our conversation with Texas Rangers Baseball Hall of Famer, Ian Kinsler. When you're craving a bigger, better burger, you know where to go. What a burger. And if you go right now, you can treat yourself to the all-new Bacon Blue Cheeseburger. Two all-beef patties with crispy bacon, grilled onions, blue cheese crumbles, and peppercorn ranch. So what are you waiting for? Available for a limited time at participating locations. All right, really excited to have Ian Kinsler with us, uh, a member of the Class of 2022 Texas Rangers Hall of Fame. Uh, a homegrown player for the Rangers, multi-time All-Star, all the the accolades, uh, and we could spend 30 minutes discussing Ian's career. But uh, uh, Ian, what does this, I guess, next bullet point mean to you? Being a part of the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame. I think you
4: know coming back and and being amongst the guys that are already in and knowing what they've accomplished um, and what it means to be a part of this group is it's you know. You, athletes say all the time it's humbling and it it really is because you don't you try to reflect and you try to come up with something um, profound but it's it's hard to do because at the time when you're playing it means so much to you it's kind of your life Um, and be honored you know for for what you did for that time period is um, it's something I'm very proud of and to be put amongst that group and be part of the players that I thought were the best is, is uh, something very special.
2: All right. I want to go back all the way to young Ian Kinsler growing up. uh, What were you like? What, I mean, were you a big sports fan? Were you like, I guess, how, how did those years kind of shape who you were? And and are you the same person now that maybe people would have projected when you were a five, six, seven, eight year old kid?
4: Who I don't know. That's a tough question trying to reflect on your childhood, but (laughs) um, yeah, I was 100% a sports guy. You know, it was ESPN at growing up, we didn't have MLB network. So it was sports center top 10 every night. Ken Griffey Jr. Robin home runs um, Roberto Alomar diving all over the place. Kind of the same, same type of same guys making the plays every night. You're watching on sports center. Um, And when I grew up, it was like WGN was the Cubs and it was day games with Harry Carey, so it basically just put you to sleep. And then it was, <laughs> and then it was uh, TNT the Braves believe, with the Braves yeah, in yeah. the nineties, and the Braves were dominant. Um, so that was where I gravitated to is watching the Braves games and David Justice and you know Chipper Jones and Javi Lopez and Andrew Jones and um, you know the whole team really. I mean, the pitching staff that they had, everybody seemed to be a Braves fan at the time. Um, and I can remember doing the tomahawk chop in my living room in the playoffs. <laughs> That's and like, amazing. Yeah, crying when they lost the World Series, I don't know, three years in a row or whatever happened. But, you know, that was, that was, that was kind of the sports for me when I, was, when I was a kid growing up.
1: You've mentioned your dad several times, Ian, about how he really helped shape you as a baseball player. What was the main lesson he taught you at a young age that you carried throughout your professional career?
4: Man, main lesson. I think, I think mostly it's just it, I think it was the style of play. That he expected of me and and the wherewithal like the kind of the the thinking of the game he was constantly asking me questions about you know what i would do in that situation whether we were watching a big league game on tv or another little league game um he was constantly asking me questions and he he would point out little things did you see that guy he was on his toes when he was getting ready to move on on defense this guy's flat-footed over here Uh, What do you do and then it it, you know triggered thought and how I was getting prepared when you're a kid You don't think you don't think about those things You really just think about the ball coming to you and trying to catch it, but being aware of those types of things um, running the bases, you know Trying to have that visual of the balls going to land as opposed to being caught you can be aggressive early and try to get the third base Um, You know recognizing those things super early and fast is is kind of what he instilled in me. It, it was always – that was always part of the conversation. I think it kind of developed my knack for for those types of things, for the flair, I guess, of the game.
1: Did you ever think that young Ian Kinsler would be in the Hall of Fame for a team one day?
4: I don't – I mean, yeah, I guess you imagine it, but I don't know if it's a reality. I don't. I, it's more of a dream, right? Um, and when you're playing, you don't – you know, when you're in the – in the moment and you're playing, you don't think of those teams. You don't think of the long-term goals. It's more of like daily goals and, and what you're trying to accomplish that day. Um, when you're facing, you know, Pedro Martinez or whatever in, in June, I'm not thinking about the Rangers hall of fame. I'm thinking about, to, you know, I'm thinking about trying to be Pedro that day, um, trying to be the best team that I can day in and day out. Um, But as a young kid, yeah, I think, you know, I got to watch Cal Ripken Jr. be driven around the field and breaking records and hitting home runs in all-star games and, you know, Pudge doing what he does and being, you know, a big part of the Rangers. When I got drafted by the Rangers, Pudge is kind of the first guy you think of, right? Um, You think Pudge, you think Nolan Ryan, uh, Juan Gonzalez, and, you know, to, to be amongst those players, I think is a dream maybe. Um, but never really think about it daily.
2: You said something at the luncheon that was really interesting. Uh, so I grew up here. I grew up a Rangers fan. And the 90s teams, I mean, I was really young, but those are the first teams I remember. And that's, I mean, those were the teams. And you said that in 2010, it was on your mind to, to outdo them. I mean, they, they won one game, the first game uh, in franchise history in the playoffs, and then the Yankees won the next nine uh, and that was kind of the label of the organization. Got to the playoffs, couldn't win a series. I, I don't know that I've ever heard – I mean, you're not from here, so it's not like you grew up a Rangers fan. I just thought it was interesting, like, the wherewithal to, the, you know, to understand maybe what the fans were thinking. Where did, that, where did that come from?
4: Well, it comes from being drafted by them and kind of knowing the history. You learn the history through playing – with the organization right and you see the pictures on the wall when you're walking down the hallways you know the players you know who's great you try to figure out what they did what happened um and so you get you get kind of an understanding of what's going on with the organization as a young player and then when you get to the major leagues and you're in those moments um you know 2009 we got close 2008 we had an incredible lineup questions start to happen you know media asks you questions about postseason about what happened in the past is this way and you know in 2010 it seemed like every question out of everybody's mouth was you can't get, get past the Yankees this organization's never won a playoff series um and so that you know that's a driving force I think or for me it was it was you know I wanted to be a part of the team that took this organization to a new level um, and I felt like we had the players to do it I felt like we had the mentality to do it um, and, and those guys, to me, you know, growing up in the Oregon, those guys were kind of put on a pedestal. I mean, you know, Rusty Greer and Kenny Rogers and Pudge and, um, you know, Mark McElmore and all the guys that were part of that core group of, of players in the 90s when they were winning, Will Clark and, you know, uh, Palmero, they were kind of put on a pedestal. Um, but they never won a postseason Series. So I saw the, the way that the, the community reacted to those players. Um, I felt like there's just a whole nother level that, that could be accomplished, and I wanted to be a part of that.
2: All right, so you, you come up through the Rangers system. A uh, you know, lot's made of, of your story just going uh, to Arizona State, uh, transferring in, not uh, maybe having the success you wanted, going to Missouri, 17th, all, all that. Uh, we were just talking earlier, first First professional season and, and short season had just one home run and then uh, so was Clinton next in the Midwest League. Okay, dot was it the the dog food plant was, it, was oh, that was yeah. that right there and, <laughs> oh, yeah. and it smelled miserable. That right, yeah. terrible. Yeah, I told Hannah <laughs> about that. So I, I was I was in the Midwest League with the, the Great Lakes Loon. So they weren't around when you were in, Cl- but like we hated going to Clinton. Oh, yeah. It was, but you must have loved it because oh, you yeah. had such a great year there. Uh, wh- what changed really? What was what was? I don't know if it was a coach. If it was just a mental thing probably everything but it seemed like that year within the organization kind of put you on the map you really took off what what led to all that well as
4: a junior in college i knew i wanted to be drafted i knew i had more to prove i felt like i was just as good as guys that were getting picked in the first round and when you get drafted it's like trigger goes off it's all baseball now you don't have to worry about school You don't have to worry, really worry about anything else. It's just, how am I going to get better at this game? I'm going to try to be a sponge and learn everything that I possibly can. Um, But then you just get sent to this short season team. There's no development. You just go straight from college to the short season. There's no coaching or anything. You just go and play. Um, And so I was still really raw. You know, I was was just, I, I didn't, looking back, I thought, obviously, you think you know a lot, but I knew nothing. Um, And then after that season, the organization decided to send me to Instructs as a 17th rounder, which I think is big. um, They took a chance on me, I would say. And when I went to Instructs, the coaching that was there, the hitting coach, his name was Ralph Dickerson, was there to teach me. He spread me out a little bit. He taught me how to use my legs um, and to hit for more power. He taught me how to be more aggressive, more powerful at the plate. And just the coaching staff in general, I was talking to Jim Sumberg earlier. He was there at Instructs and, and the insight that he provided the players as far as the big leagues and what is expected of you when you get there as far as the details of the game and what you need to learn. Um, it was a whole nother – it was just a whole nother mindset for me. And it kind of triggered me into, a, I guess, another level. Um, and, then go, and then going into the – after Instructs, going into that offseason – I knew 100% I had to get bigger. I mean, I was 175 pounds, and the first guy I saw when I walked into to the organization or into camp with, uh, for Instructs was a guy named Jason Botts. Mm-hmm. And Jason Botts was like, looked like a WWF superstar. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was 6'6", chiseled, Just jacked. like Jared, right? Yeah, just yeah. like me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like he And he, could, he looked like a... NFL tight end or something I don't know but he was a giant he's the i I'm like carrying my bags and he's the first guy I see and I'm just like <laughs> holy moly I gotta get in the weight room so after instructs that was huge for me I knew I had to gain weight I knew I had to get bigger I knew I had to get stronger um, and then it all just kind of came together the next the next spring training going into Clinton um, and I felt like at instructs I was one of the better players there I felt you know internally I felt like I was the best player there going into spring training the group of players that I was drafted drafted with, they were either putting you in high A or low A. They were going to kind of split us up. Um, and I thought for sure I was going to high A. 100% in my brain, I knew I was going to high A. And I didn't. I went to Clinton instead. And that really lit a fire. Um, you know, kind of added to that chip on my shoulder and, and something to prove. And, you know, it just kind of took off. It was a comfortable place to play for me. My teammates were great. I knew a lot of those guys. Um, the coaching staff there, we had Carlos Sombrero was our, was our head coach. He really, really pushed me defensively, offensively. Like, he, he rode me. He was on me every day. Um, and like you said, I was hitting 400. and this guy's just still riding me. And nowadays, you don't see that as much. If a player's performing, you don't – coaching staff kind of stays away from them. Uh, Carlos rode me, and he rode me hard every day. And he expected a lot of me, and I think that was huge as far as my development.
2: Two, one, two, your willingness to be coached and be coached in that manner. Players today, it seems like that it's not as present. Did that come from your dad? Yeah, 100%. Criticism
4: is, I'm, I'm thirsty for criticism. Um, you know, he was always criticizing me in some way, obviously for the positive. He was trying to, trying to develop a mindset, right? Um, but I'll, whenever I had a new hitting coach, I would always tell them, don't tell me my swing is good. Like, don't tell me you're good. Tell me something constructive. I need, like, some, you know, ebb and flow here, tug and pull. Like, I need some sort of conversation. Um, And that's the way I perform my best. So, to be able to have Carlos there and and Clinton was was huge for me.
1: Ian, what was the biggest lesson you learned about yourself during the minor leagues?
4: Mm. Biggest lesson, make sure you get your sleep. I don't know. (laughs) That's important. Yeah, sleep is important. Um, biggest lesson I learned in the minor leagues, <sighs> man, that's a dog really good dog question. food plant smell really bad. Yeah. We called it boss man. Oh gosh. Just
1: sounds miserable. We were like,
4: here comes the boss man. <laughs> we'd all run inside. <laughs> yeah. Um, biggest lesson I learned. Probably the biggest lesson I learned was probably from Bobby Jones in triple a, um, I, I had a temper when I played and I was, you know, I slammed my helmet. I slammed bats. I threw my glove. I, I was pretty temperamental. Um, and in triple a was really my first sign of adversity in the minor leagues. I went to Spokane and I had a good year. I went to Clinton and I played well, I got called up to double a and I played well, I went to Arizona fall league and I played well. Um, I went to spring training with the big league team, and I played really well. And I got sent to AAA. The first month in AAA, I was I was terrible. I probably hit a buck eighty or something like that. They were moving me around from third to short to second, kind of splitting time. Um, and my temp my temper took me out of the game a lot at that point. And Bobby's so even keel and he also has a great sense of humor. Um, and he was able to he he taught me how to harness that. He taught me how to. How to not let that affect my bats, how to not let it affect my defense um, or my base running or whatever it is um, to stay with the game, you know, not not to allow your emotions to get the best of you. And I I mean, through my whole career, that was something that I had to work on and and something that was ever present was my emotions. and, And Bobby really taught me. How to harness it as best he could.
1: It's a great lesson.
2: Yeah. Taught you some language too. If it, yeah, if it's, Bobby, yeah, 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 Bobby. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Bobby has some a lot of beeps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: All
2: right, we're gonna get to some fan questions here in a second. Take a, a quick break, but first, your your post playing career is multifaceted. Um, you are gonna manage Team Israel in the WBC. You just came back from Israel as a torchbearer at the Maccabi Games, which is a, a you know, a, a huge honor. I don't think a lot of people probably know what uh, the Maccabi games are, but uh, you also got involved with WarStick. Um, and, I mean, WarStick's become, I, I mean, maybe people think of the bats. I it, it almost feel like it's become a, I feel so, this Hannah's is going to make fun of me. I'm not, it's like a vibe. Like, I don't know. It's like a vibe, right? Yeah. Like, there's like, but, okay, how did you get involved in Jack White? And, uh, I mean, how, how'd you go down that path?
4: Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a vibe. That's what we're going for. Yeah, you know, we're trying to change kids' mentalities towards baseball and towards sports. But
2: did I use that right vibe? Yeah,
4: Am I I, vibe. Okay. Like right. okay Okay. Vi- vibing. Yeah. Yeah. vibing, vibing. You like it? You don't like it? No we'll you
1: too hard for that, Jared. <laughs> I think that makes sense.
4: Okay. <laughs> um. So Jack White is a huge Tigers fan. He grew up in Detroit. Um. He has a record label called Third Man Records, and so he's drawn to the number three, for whatever reason. And I wore three in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, So we met in spring training in Detroit and became friends, uh, acquaintances, and had a dinner together and got to know each other a little bit. Um, One year later, I was introduced to a guy named Ben Jenkins, who's Mm -hmm. the owner of Warstick, who's the founder of Warstick. And, you know, we kind of hit it off right away. And he was giving me a bunch of information about Warstick and, you know, wanting wanting for me to invest in the company. And he mentioned Jack. Um, and I said, that's funny. I know Jack White. He said that he's pretty interested in this War Stick brand. I said, let me reach out to him and see how interested he is. Uh, and three days later, we flew to Nashville, me and Ben. And Jack invested in the company along with myself. So it was me and him as the two, the only two investors. Uh, and Ben obviously owns the, the, the company. And then from then, it just kind of grew. It started out as just wood bats. It was wood bats, shirts, hats, um, And that's really it and then from there it it continued to grow and then we had this vision of having our own store in dallas uh more of an experience that you can go visit something different than you know anywhere else and it came to life i mean it it took us a long time it took us five years six years now i think this year's year six but um jack is very very creative mind ben is a very very creative mind I'm a very like straightforward black and white baseball guy. So to have all of us sit and, and talk about this project and this company is, is great, it works perfectly. Um, and so we finally got this building down in Deep Elm and we created this, I mean, really Ben created it, Jack helped and I was kind of like the baseball, <laughs> like, all right, okay, hold on, we need a little baseball in here because they're going way music. We got this speakeasy down in the mm-hmm. basement fully you know suited by JBL who's good friends with Jack White um, and we have a you know wood bat carving area where you can watch a, a wood bat get get burned from a billet um, you know an engraving machine painting area we got a full batting cage in there a coffee shop like it's it's it's, a, it's an awesome place that it's sounds really fun. Yeah. yeah it's in, it's eccentric and it's it's a really good flow it's a really good good vibe there. <laughs> there, you go. Yeah. there you go. Okay,
2: I feel better about myself now. <laughs> I, I was taking I a think shot with try that. Trying to make you feel better. Too. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate so, it. Thank you. Ian. You know,
4: I got an, I got involved honestly through Marty Turco. knew a, a friend of Marty's who knew Ben introduced us, um, and that's kind of how it all got started in, in Dallas. And being able to have that here, you know, where where I live and home. Um, and being able to go to youth, you know, youth sports and youth games with my son and watch him play and then watch other kids have war stick bats and the mentality that we're trying to instill in kids um, to have that warrior mindset. It's just been it's been a trip. It's been a lot of fun. And um uh, you know, hopefully it just continues to grow.
2: Yeah, I recommend if you have not been, uh, you've got to go in, as Ian mentioned, in Deep Elm. It's a a great spot. Ian just kind of lists it off. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to go buy a bat. Like you can. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. vibe. Full vibe. All right, uh, quick uh, message from our sponsor. We come back, fan questions uh, with Rangers Hall of Famer Ian Kinsler.
1: They call it the all-new Whataburger Peppercorn Ranch Chicken Club, but with grilled or crispy what a chicken fresh lettuce and tomato, crispy bacon, Monterey Jack cheese, and creamy peppercorn ranch, all on the Texas toast. I call it delicious. Available for a limited time at participating locations.
2: All right, back here with Texas Rangers Hall of Famer Ian Kinsler. Uh, we got some fan questions to run through, uh, but first we have two signature questions. So I'm going to start with one. Uh, we always like to ask people who's someone you, you competed against who you didn't have like a relationship with. So not a friend you competed against, but you know, you, you just had like a, a high level of respect for, it. you know, someone that, and, and I know you is, is the competitor you are. I'm sure there are some people you looked across the way like, oh, I don't really like this guy, but there was just a level of respect because of those competitive battles.
4: Yeah. That's honestly a really easy answer for me. Um, Felix Hernandez is somebody that I had. I, first of all, I faced him out of any pitcher that I faced. I More faced than him anyone else, post. yeah. Um, and he got me a bunch of times, and I got him a bunch of times, and it was constant. I mean, we were in the same division. We actually uh, faced each other in the minor leagues coming up a little bit. He obviously was 19 when he made it to the big league, so he flew through. So I didn't get to face him that much in the minor leagues. But the battles that we had – um, in Seattle or in the ballpark with Felix, were always intense, and we knew we had our, our our work cut out for us when he was on the mound. I mean, he was winning Cy Youngs. He's, you know, one of the true aces of the game. Um, and I actually had him sign sign a jersey for me when when uh, towards the end of my career, and I I went up to him in BP and I said, Felix, and I got to meet him because him and Adrian are really good <laughs> friends. Um, so we had our battles, right? And it, th- there's that tension there. Um, and then to go over to Adrian's house and, and meet Felix, you know, it was, there was a lot of, a little bit of feeling out <laughs> going on there. Uh, but, you, you know, we, pe- we became cordial, and it, was, it wasn't it was as intense after that. Um, luckily, it was a little bit later because I really enjoyed that. But towards the end of my career, I asked him for, for a signed jersey and if he could write something on there. And, like, I faced you most in my career, and I really enjoyed, you know, battling against you. It was always a treat, and, and he kind of gave it back to me. So it was – I, for sure, Felix Hernandez.
2: I was doing some research for the game broadcast. So you have more home runs, more walks uh, against Felix than anyone else. He also hits you more than any other pitcher. Oh, yeah. I don't know uh, if any of those stand out, but he, he hit you three times. No one else hit you more than twice. So I think the, uh, <laughs> you know, the the, the animosity uh, from those home runs you hit off of him probably. No, were... it's
4: whenever you get hit by Felix, you just go to first. <laughs> you're, just, you're happy, you you're with happy it. yeah. Yeah, you're happy. Yeah. You're like yes.
2: All right. Some questions from fans, and then we'll uh, we'll get you out. We're, we're talking to Ian here the day before he's actually going to officially get inducted it's been a, a long day we, we definitely appreciate Ian's time so this one comes from Zachary uh, what do you enjoy most uh, about working with Jack White and what was your favorite or what is your favorite Jack White song or White Stripes song so
4: I came out to Lazaretto in Detroit um, was one of my walkout songs. It was it was Lazaretto by Jack White, obviously, and um, Very Superstitious by Stevie Wonder. So those were kind of my two in Detroit. Um, so that's my favorite song.
2: Did you do Black Betty here? Yeah, you, Black okay, Betty. All right. That's yeah. a, a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
4: Um, uh, and what's it like working with Jack White? He's, he's a very creative mind, um, but he's he's also fairly laid back. I mean, he's... He's got some crazy ideas, obviously, and he's able to portray them very easily. Um, he's a he's a blast to be around because you have no idea what what's next for Jack. You don't know what's going to come out of his mouth, um, or where he wants to go, or what he wants to do. Uh, and working with him, he he's very very detail oriented. He he's very specific in what he likes. Um, so trying to design a building with him and looking over the plans uh it takes probably longer than than it normally would but if you have a chance to go see the building you could see why i mean every detail is is on point and he's a, he's a, he's that way with his music he's that way with third man records with his record shops if you have a chance to go to nashville and check out third man records like it's kind of it's very similar to what the war stick vibe would be like um, so that's what it's like. He's just, he's very detail-oriented. He's he's pretty laid back. A lot of fun to be around, high-energy guy. Um, and it's a, it's a joy to work with him, for sure.
2: All right, then uh, last one from me, and then I know Hannah's got two, but Preston says that you guys have the same birthday. He wants to know, what is the best birthday present you ever received? Um,
4: um, best birthday present I ever received? Well... My last birthday present, my daughter painted me a picture of me and her standing on a beach in Florida, like a family vacation that we took. She took like one of our pictures that we had together, like behind this palm tree with the ocean and stuff in the background. And she actually painted that scene. Um, I can't painted it. So that was, that was really nice. That's the last one that I got. So that's yeah. the first one in my brain. That's that was, really special. That's it, a was, cool one. it was pretty special. Yeah. yeah.
1: I feel like my dad probably threw away anything that I ever drew for him. It's probably <laughs> terrible, but you never know. I'm sure he has a couple. Um, Ian, a couple more from me. This is a question that so many people submitted, so I can't even say one name that actually submitted it for you. But what was your number one Rangers clubhouse story?
4: Number one Rangers clubhouse story. I don't know if you guys heard the, the Michael Young Boston Red Sox jersey one, or Boston uh, Boston Celtics jersey. Oh, Mention of the luncheon, yeah. Yeah, should I go ahead and yeah? Get if you out? want to, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, it's probably the best one. I mean, there's there's a lot. I think. Well, there was one in spring training where um, Elvis Elvis was had a wild hair, and he was throwing water on everybody and running away. It was like he was just laughing, just being a little kid. Just cold water, douse you with water, run away. And he's getting everybody in the clubhouse. So we all decided we're gonna gang up. And we're going to go catch Elvis, and we're going to tie him to the training room table. So there's probably five of us who are chasing him all over the complex in and, and surprise, and we finally get him. And he's fighting tooth and nail. like he's kicking, he's punching, he, And it's five of us, and we're having a tough time holding down. I mean, he's like this 19-year-old, 20-year-old, whatever he was at the time kid, and he would not let, he, he was not getting taken in easy. So we get him into the, into the uh, training room finally and we're just taping him up so we get we get all the all the medical tape and everything and we're we're taping him to the training table so he's laying flat on his back strapped down and and then we just leave him and he won't <laughs> stop we just leave him in there so it's completely quiet nobody's in there and he but he won't stop talking like he he's yelling at us he's talking he's telling stories to himself like he just won't shut up he's just having one of those like crazy Elvis days or whatever. So Mike just walks back in, grabs a piece of tape, sticks it over his (laughs) mouth, and walks out. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh,
1: Last question from Blake.fwtx. What is your favorite Rangers uniform?
4: That's a toss-up. It's a toss-up between the baby blues and the the button. The button, uh, like red, white, and blue big stripes down the side with the the no-button collar. The old-school. The old-school, school yeah, what is it, 86 maybe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think. Uh-huh. like 86 talking about? to maybe 89 There's so The something. elastic collar. The, the elastic the, yeah, collar. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. No belt, just like the it's buttons. Not the,
2: it's not the vest jerseys that you guys wore? No, no there? vest for me. No? okay. I didn't,
4: I didn't. They weren't bad. No, they're no. They're definitely I, not on top of the list. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Ian, uh, congratulations yeah. again. It's it's so cool seeing you back, uh, I guess, tied to the Rangers family. I know you're doing some, some big things with the uh, – with Team Israel and the Padres and Warstick and and all your other ventures. But it's great having you back, and congratulations again on being a part of the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame.
4: Thank you. I really appreciate it. All
2: right, there you go. Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. More stories from 50 years of Rangers baseball uh, coming your way. But uh, really excited to have Texas Rangers Hall of Famer Ian Kinsler.